Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! A lot to get to this week, but before I do that, I want to say thank you to Margaret Davis for being my guest this week. Last week I didn't I didn't say anything about Brad Neese until 10 minutes into a rant. And uh, this time I'm going to say thank you, Margaret, for being on. And lots of, um, there it is, we've, we've figured out that we have lots of similarities, Margaret and I do. Um, she's retired now doing the UIL adjudicator thing and uh, living her best life was was Jim Parsons teacher and full disclosure I'm going to find some spot to put that into in the conversation but I don't have a research team and didn't really know that that was one of her students that 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 he was one of her students and so we ended up talking about it at the end uh, but I might put it somewhere in the middle of the conversation. So if you hear some weird editing, my apologies. Again, I don't have a research team. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. But we did have a conversation about him a little bit. Uh, but that's pretty cool. I worked with Jim Parsons at Mildred's Umbrella 20 years ago. Probably a little more than 20 years ago now. And, uh, it was actually, it was more than 20. I was, I wasn't 21 yet. So, um, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, he wasn't Jim Parsons yet. He was Jim Parsons, but he wasn't the Jim Parsons. So it was just some other actor, uh, worked with lots of people that have done great things in their career. Um, I want to talk about quite a few things. I took some notes. Number one, there are a lot of uh, camps and opportunities on the horizon for our students, for our teachers, um, and, and for all these different opportunities, you have to start like figuring stuff out relatively soon. Cause it's, it's almost the middle of April, but for all aspiring technical theater educators, I want, you know, if you have a passion for tech and you're looking to explore the world of sound, costuming, scenic painting, this is like this opportunity I'm about to talk about is like the perfect opportunity. It's the summer MAB, um, and I've talked about this before. Uh, the summer MAB program is hosting their tech theater workshops, offering you guys a hands-on experience in these sort of key areas, right, of theater production. And they're very important areas that there are a lot of people that talk about, I don't have experience in this stuff. So their workshops are all taught by professionals with years and years of experience in those fields. And they understand what it's like to be a theater educator. So, um, you, you all required to wear so many hats, right? Producers and all this kind of stuff. We have to be a producer and a director and a company manager. And especially if you don't have a dedicated technical director. So, the guest artists are going to kind of help guide you through the process and provide you the skills in order to be successful and up those production values. You know what I mean? So this summer, one of your options uh, is this MAB technical theater program. 
they've expanded to have multiple locations. So uh, it's available in, in, in an effort. Uh, th- these locations are available in an effort to serve more and more theater educators. So if you're more, if you're interested and I'll put the link in the, in the uh, description, you want to go to Mab, M-A-B, M-A-B, minor uh, alpha Blake or minor Adam Blake. Cause that's my name backwards, but Mab, technicaltheater.com and that's theater with an re the art of theater visit mabtechnicaltheater.com you can get dates and sign up and all that kind of stuff so you don't want to really miss out on this incredible opportunity you're going to learn from the best and explore your passion for all things tech so you're going to sign up there and again I'll put it in the the bio of this episode Uh, I recorded early last week. I recorded the intro early last week because I went to Maryland for a wedding. And long story short, not to bore you with the the deets, but it was supposed to be a family of four there. Ended up being a family of three because my my wife got COVID. And she spent the week prior to that in Montreal, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, which I think I mentioned that last week. And uh, then she got to Maryland said I don't feel well, tested, tested positive, got on a plane, went home. And so my, my, you know, I'm a very cerebral person. I don't really like surprises. Now I'm good at adjusting after a little bit of anger. I'm really flexible actually. Um, if you have ever asked Charlie uh, Oglesby, easier for me to say Charlie. Um, not that she's listening, but uh, Charlie always said, you're very flexible with, uh, working with you. So, um, but when you're a single parent with two beautiful girls and you were expecting to be, uh, two parents, uh, husband and wife with two beautiful girls in a strange foreign land like Maryland, USA, uh, your mindset changes. So it was very stressful, but, uh, it was also WrestleMania, weekend and so I was able to use that as my kind of ah moment even though I was watching some of it as well as San Diego State uh, while we were at the wedding um, Wrestlemania happened and lots of wrestling stuff we did Jay and I did not do a wrestling podcast this year we just didn't have time part of it was my fault because I went to Maryland Um, enough of that so congrats to the region advancers or congrats to the people that uh, went on Friends of mine, Bobby Ramirez, congrats. Destiny Miller, so shocked. Uh, So shocked she made it. Uh, I don't know if she had announced that she's going to Yale prior to last week's intro, but anyway, congrats to her. Um, And it's just cool, you know? Lots of changes happening around the world of theater education once again. Uh, I know of some people applying for jobs secretly, and I've had some people reach out to me asking me if I know some people. Uh, I also know some people have announced already that they're moving on. So congrats to those people. I hope it works out for you. Uh, I may have some news next week. May. Maybe not. Not going to say anything yet. Got to wait for those I's to get crossed and those T's to get dotted. So, uh, but um, yeah, I may have something for you. The other thing is, uh, or there are two other little notes that I wanted to address one is the alley theater the alley theater canceled their odyssey um 
and it was interesting. Uh, I don't know all the tea, but I do know that there were some allegations made that lent themselves towards some race issues that I'm not going to touch with a 10-foot pole, but I know the alley has been doing a lot of saving face recently with uh, the past regime having uh, very public negative um, effects on people's lives and such. And this current regime has done a fantastic job. And this is kind of the first blemish. And so I, I, I'm not going to pass any judgment on. I don't want to state anything that I don't know facts about. Uh, but the Alley Theater right now is going through some stuff. And I do know I can speak on this, uh, that um, Laura Target, who I work with, who's a brilliant costumer at the John Cooper School, uh, went to go see it, went to go see a preview performance of it and came back and usually doesn't do this came straight into my office and just started telling me about how great the performance was and how amazing it was didn't mention anything about race I did not know that these were uh, predominantly the cast is predominantly black um, nor do I really care uh, because I thought the again the alley was making strides to not really make that a point just cast the best actor. But uh, the the lead was on book, and she did tell me that, and that you couldn't really tell that the lead was on book in the first act, but in the second act, you definitely could. The first act was two hours. The second act was about 30 minutes. But she said you got lost in it, and it was really, really good. So I don't know exactly what happened again, nor do I care, um, but it sucks. The thing I do care about, is is Tennessee. Uh, that state is proving to be quite a problem uh, when it comes to this gun control thing. And I don't know if you saw, but there were two, um, two representatives, state representatives that were uh, exiled or whatever from the, their capital. And the, the, Fun thing is, I guess the fun part of this is that the so those seats have to be filled, and and I, again I'm not uh, I'm just telling you this based on what I saw on the news and what I saw read about and and all this kind of stuff. But those seats have to be filled, and they can be filled back with the two people that were sort of excommunicated from the house, which is interesting. Seems like a weird way to do things. Uh, but they can also then be reinstated through vote, like their constituents can vote them back in, which I think is crazy. Uh, but these two men were, these two black men were, um, and a white woman were up for being uh, exiled. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but they were they were up for being taken out of the Capitol, the Tennessee House, and uh, the white woman, the the votes passed that she could stay. The two black men, the votes passed that they had to go. And some of the arguments that these people had against these two black men, these all these old white men standing up and, and, and to the old white man defense, there were quite a few old white men who stood up and defended these guys um, that were for them uh, staying, not against them leaving, or not against them staying, excuse me. Um, uh and they, they just had such horrific 
um, naive, uh, ignorant things to say to these two men. And then these two men, one specifically, said so many beautiful things into this not well EQ'd microphone. And it was, it was, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily compare it to how some people sort of that feel the way I feel felt when they saw MLK, but it had that same power to it. It had that same, like I wanted to bust through a wall after hearing these gentlemen talk. And again, I, 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 it's crazy where we're at in this country and I don't want to become a political podcast because that's not what this is. But I do have to say, you know, the thing is, is this affects us. This affects school teachers. This affects our students. So it is part of what this, the niche element of this podcast is, which is theater educators, specifically most of the time, Texas theater educators. And a lot of this stuff happens in Texas. And a lot of this stuff happens to our friends and our colleagues. And I know people that have had multiple people that have had lockdowns because of actual guns being in actual schools or actual guns killing actual students and teachers. And so this is a part of this podcast. And I apologize to those people that aren't necessarily listening for this kind of thing, but this is part of that niche-ness. It's not a word, but it just is. And so I'm going to spend two weeks talking about it, and hopefully that's it. Hopefully some stuff changes, like uh, hopefully nothing else happens that's negative, and hopefully, hopefully there's some positive change. And until then, I'm going to keep talking about it and use this as my outlet. And so that's what it is. Um, you know, so be it. Once again, I want to thank Margaret Davis for coming on the podcast uh, if you haven't yet purchased, not you, Margaret, uh, although you too, but if you haven't yet purchased a shirt, please, it helps support the podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, nice long intro, nice long interview. Enjoy Margaret Davis. I was born in Wichita Falls, and I was the fourth of four siblings, and my brothers and sister are, are older than I am, and so I was always tasked with entertaining myself. Because, you know, back in the 60s, nobody had play dates and cared what their children did. They just said, go figure something out. And so even when I was little, 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 I used to write plays and I used to solicit kids in the neighborhood to perform them. We, we'd go into my backyard where we had a, a clothesline because we didn't have a dryer. We had a washing machine, a clothes washing machine, but we didn't have a dryer. So my mother would hang these big sheets on the clothesline and I, that was my stage and I would direct and I would star and, you know, it was it was just that sort of situation. And so they knew pretty early on that I was going to have some sort of life in the arts. So we moved away from Wichita Falls and we went to the Houston area when I was about 10. And um, I was in the Cy Fair School District, went to elementary school there. And then I went to um, Arnold Middle School and I met a teacher who changed my life. 
because I don't know how it is with guys, but with girls, middle school is just the worst time of your entire life. Oh my gosh. You, you, you feel like you're ugly. You feel like you're stupid. You feel like you don't fit in. But my sixth grade teacher, and I wasn't even signed up for theater. Somehow or another, the drama teacher picked me out of the sixth grade to be in the seventh grade play. And her name was Phyllis Hamilton. And she's the reason that my life went on the trajectory that it did. Um, she gave me something that, that made me feel like I had self-esteem, that I was good at. And so anything like that, when you're in middle school, you just latch on. And so then they opened a new middle school. They opened um, Blyle, and we were the, the first group to go through there. And she was the theater teacher there. So, you know, I was, I was definitely a theater kid by seventh grade. And I knew in seventh grade that I wanted to be a theater teacher because I wanted to grow up and be just like Mrs. Hamilton. So I went on to Sci Fair High School. I was involved in theater, did, you know, did lots of shows, that sort of thing. Um, went on to the University of Texas, where I got my bachelor's degree. And I was there at a really wonderful time. It was before UT had a graduate program or tried to think of itself as, you know, full of itself. And we were allowed to work crew all the time. Well, actually, we had to. We had to be in shows. We had to work crew. We had to do everything as undergraduates. And I was there at a really good time with people like um, Rick Garcia was there, Billy Dragoo, David Stevens, Travis Poe, Rod Caspers. I mean, it was a magical time to be an undergraduate. So, did lots and lots of shows there, but I was always the theater major. I mean, we, they knew from the beginning I was a the, I was going to be the edge, uh, drama ed major. Um, just had had a wonderful time. Got a lot of experience doing a lot of things. I think I learned more about the different crafts that are available in theater when I was at UT. I was I was actually a shop assistant, a scene shop assistant, because um, I was on work study because I didn't have a whole lot of money, so. You know, going to, going to class, working in the scene shop, going to rehearsal—that was pretty much you know my life for however many years. I guess five years. I took a little extra to graduate. Um, got through that. Uh, one of the good things about going to the University of Texas, as it relates to one act play, is that we hosted one act play, and so for four years, I was backstage or contest managing with Mr. Murray or something, you know, doing something with one act play, and I got to see some of the most amazing shows. People like um, Jerry Worsham, uh, Larry Wisdom, see, Charlotte Brown, who else? I mean, people that are just there, Luis, <laughs> I saw some of Luis's shows, uh, Rachel Maddox, Lou Lindsay, I mean, just really people that we look up to now and think those, those people were amazing. And so I got to see their work before I ever got out of college. So I felt like I kind of had a, a leg up perhaps on other people because I knew how this contest ran. I knew, you know, basically what it was all about. I wasn't one of those first year teachers that was <gasps> the deer in the headlights. Oh my God, what do I do? What play do I pick? Ah! No, I, I felt pretty confident. So I graduated from there in uh, 84, and I started teaching right off, out of that at uh, Bel Air High School. And Bel Air had just come off of some teachers after, um, oh, I hate, I hate not being able to come up. Who was, like, um, who was there for so, so long? Uh, before you? 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was he, he and Mrs. Denny, Cecil yeah. Pickett, Cecil, Cecil Pickett. Yeah. Cecil Pickett. I was I was coming in just after Cecil Pickett left, and there had been some people there that had not necessarily prospered. And I came in, and let me just tell you that the kids were unbelievable. Now you've been a teacher, so you know this. Every few years, you just get a magical group of people together, and those kids in those first years of my teaching were unbelievable. The most dedicated kids, they would stay up all night painting scenery if they needed to. I mean, they would do anything for theater. And we did some fabulous work. And and in a way, I guess I was growing up with them because, you know, you're only four years older than that, that first graduated class. And so I was learning how to be a teacher. But uh, they, they were amazing. I still keep in touch with most of them, as a matter of fact. The... Uh, I did. I was there for three years, and then I got this wild hair. I said, you know, I want to go back to graduate school and get my um, MFA in directing. And I had heard that I needed to go to California. So, silly me, I quit my job, decided to drive out to California. If I, you know, I'll, I'll live there for a year, I'll establish residency, and I'll, I'll get accepted at a university. Well, of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> I flew out to, I mean, I drove out to California, went all the way up the coast, couldn't find a job, especially couldn't find a place to live because you can't afford to live there and ended up coming back and saying, well, what am I going to do now? Because they'd already hired somebody to take my position at Bel Air. I ended up at Johnston Middle School and I taught middle school for exactly one year. <laughs> that is a tough, tough job. It, it's so much harder than teaching high school because the, the sixth graders cry and the eighth graders think that they're seniors in high school and hormones are just crazy. But I tried to be for them what Phyllis Hamilton was to me. And so it, it ended up being an okay situation. And I had some great kids that went on to HSPVA and, and they're very successful. Some of them are, you know, out in Hollywood right now working. Um, then I heard that there was going to be an opening out in um, the Klein School District. A friend of mine I was in a show with, um, Lisa Matranga, we were doing, we were doing a play that uh, Jerry Baber directed. We were doing Godspell. And she said, well, you know, there's going to be an opening. She goes, I'm leaving after next year. And so I was like, oh, that, that sounds fabulous. I'll go out to Klein. I mean, Rick's out there. I'll go, I'll go work with Rick. He's my friend. So I ended up actually going to Klein High School first and working with my Harrison, which was a interesting year of my life. Um, and then the next year I went over to Klein Oak and worked with Rick for a year. You know, we've been friends forever and ever and ever. So that was just an easy, easy fix, easy fit. And then uh, he moved on and I stayed. I was the head of that theater department for, I don't know, 17, 18 years, something like that. We were, you know, we were successful. It was a, it was a great place to work. The kids were, they, they were dedicated. They were, they were just good middle-class kids that do what they're supposed to do. You know, you didn't have a huge sense of entitlement, entitlement yet, that was all coming, but it wasn't there yet. So I had some really outstanding students. Um, and, I, you know, I look forward to talking to them all the time. Then in, I guess it was 99, um, I had gotten married. And my husband did not like the hours that I was spending as a theater teacher. And so I got my 
my master's in education, in educational leadership from Sam Houston, and um, I ended up being an assistant principal in the same building, which is good and it's bad. Because when you're in the same building, all those kids that you have trained for all these years, you know, the ones that were still there, used to come to my office all the time and say, oh, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, no, he's not doing it wrong. He's just doing it differently. <laughs> and so, but that was good. And so um, I was an assistant principal there and I moved up and became an associate principal and became the, the basically the associate principal for curriculum instruction. I hired teachers. I did, you know, staff development. And it was a really, really nice job if you don't put into it the, the things that you have to do with discipline and that sort of thing. But getting to work with teachers was just another phase of getting to work with kids. They're just bigger. <laughs> had, had, a, had a nice time. And then my husband got transferred out to um, Arizona. So we moved out to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I went back to the classroom. I was such a better teacher that one year in Arizona than I would ever have been before because I had gotten a more global um, view of what education was. Getting to be a principal and an associate principal those years, it made me a better classroom teacher. So we always say we wish principals would come back to the classroom. Well, I wish that teachers could also spend some time. I wish it was a you know like a, a cross curricular kind of thing where people could see each other's roles a little clearer. And then I, um, my husband and I divorced and I came back to Houston. Uh, I got a job at Kingwood High School because Frank Shooter called me and he goes, I hear you're back in town. You, we've got it up and you've got to come work at Kingwood High School. And Kingwood was fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And that's where I ended my career. Um, I remarried and my husband was transferred to Minneapolis. And so I retired in, I guess it was 2012, and I was 52. And so I just barely, you know, hit that rule of 80 so that I could retire. And we went to Minnesota, having never been there. Neither one of us had ever, ever been to Minnesota, which is a fabulous place. Minnesota people are genuinely nice people. They don't have uh, an ulterior motive. They don't want anything from you. They're just nice people, good Midwestern people. And so we were there for three years, and then the company um, re-domesticated to Tampa, Florida, which is where I live now. So I had been retired for a while now. And so we moved to Florida, and my brother said to me, he goes, you know what you need to do? He goes, You've always been building scenery and making props. And, and, and he goes, I know you build furniture for your house and that sort of thing. He goes, you want to get your contractor's license. He goes, you get your contractor's license and I'll be your angel. I will we'll, we'll buy properties and we'll flip them. He goes, I'll, I'll be the money and you be, the, you be the, the hands and whatever profit we make, we'll split it. And so I said, oh, well, that sounds like a fabulous idea. And so I got my license, which is really, really hard in Florida. That is the most regulated state in the United States because of all the hurricanes. Got my license and my brother got prostate cancer and passed away. So I ended up with a contractor's license and no money. I said, that's okay. I, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. 
And then I had a friend say to me, she said, wait, aren't you a contractor? And I went, well, yeah, I've, I've got a license. He says, will you come look at my, my bathroom? And I went, no, 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 no. I, I don't have any subcontractors. I don't, I don't really know. Well, she ended up talking me into it, and I did one of her bathrooms. And then somebody saw her bathroom, and they said, oh, I saw Carol's bathroom. Can you come and look at my kitchen? Well, that snowball took off, and now I have a company in Florida, and I am a full-time contractor. I have so much work, I don't know what to do. I never advertise. It's only word of mouth. But when I'm not doing this, I'm, you know, redoing, completely redoing people's houses. So, but everybody in Florida knows every March I leave. They're like, now, where are you going? I'm going to go judge one act play. Well, if you're not from Texas, you don't have a clue what that means. And so I have to explain to them, you know, every school has a football team and they compete and the winner in the district goes on until you get to the state champion. I said, I said to Texas, we have the same thing. And they're like, why do you go? Why do you drive a thousand miles to go judge plays? And for me, this is the thing that fills my soul. This is the thing that, that, that makes me feel human. Um, talking with kids and working with kids and doing critiques. It, it's the reason I was why I was put on this planet. And so it's like, this is my time to recharge and remember who I am and why I'm, why I'm here. And then I go back home and become a contractor again. <laughs> that's fun. And that's my story. Wow. That's uh if that's not a story about transferable skills, I don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it is completely transfer. You Absolutely. Everything's the same. What type of adjustments did you have to make as a builder, carpenter, your mindset? Because, you know, in theater, we build to last for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. But when you're obviously when you're a contractor, you're building hopefully for the lifetime of that house. You know, that's that's the expectation. What I mean, what did you have to your mindset when it came to design and structure and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what it's probably a whole podcast on its own. It is. Yeah. But, but I mean, just in a nutshell, what'd you have to. Well, well, the good thing is I, I had remodeled every house I'd ever lived in and I knew about building codes and I knew, you know, how you have to build walls. And I, you know, I just, I just knew. And then when I got my license, I I learned every, every code you could possibly need. And so um, it really wasn't difficult because I wasn't coming directly from the theater and going to that. And so it kind of morphed on its own. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm the carpenter part right. of my business. I do, all of my, I do all my own woodworking. I hire in. I have a wonderful electrician. I have a wonderful plumber. I mean, I have tile guys. You name it, right. I've got them. But I am my own carpenter. And it really goes back to when I was a scene shop assistant at the University of Texas when I learned how to use a, a radial arm saw and a table saw and a band saw. And you, know. and you know what else doesn't hurt? That I have been addicted to home improvement shows <laughs> since, since the early 80s when Norm Abram, oh, oh, okay. Norm Abram and this old house. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that's, that's a, okay, that's a biscuit. He's doing a biscuit joint there. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that, okay, what's he doing? Okay, that's a half lap. Okay, oh, I see that. And so I actually learned a lot that way also. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't imagine. I mean, it's, there's, I'm, I'm a girl dad. So like, I'm a big proponent on like, my girls are going to be able to do anything that they want, uh, no matter if it's something that boys are typically doing or girls are typically doing, right? And so, yeah, you ask any female that ever worked for me, no one ever got to play the girl card. Right, exactly. Girls rock. Girls yeah. can do anything they choose to do. 
Yeah, and but it's just that's that's really kind of awesome because it's similar. Um, my path may end up being similar to yours. What it sounds like is because my sister's always like, "Can't you build this? Can't you do this? Can't you?" So, uh, but she also has never. She'll tell you that her 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 peak was in eighth grade in their production of Grease at Hollow Middle School, you know, in A Leaf. But um, so she's not much of a stage person herself, but uh, she doesn't necessarily understand that my window seat is not going to look like <laughs> the, the window seat of a contractor. But anyway, uh, but you know, I, I actually find myself sometimes overbuilding. Yeah. Right. Overbuilding. Cause you know, you're like, you want it to make sure that it's solid. It's going to last forever. And the, my guys that work with me, they go, you know, you know, don't have to do all of yeah. that. And it's like, no, but I want to do all of that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, I wrote down a lot of things you, you mentioned Good. before I started recording that we have must have met somewhere now. None of these places we might have met. However, there is so much, like I'm currently, my home is zoned to Klein Oak. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've, I've actually worked, done some lighting at Klein Oak for uh, a few shows just because mm-hmm. I'm right down the street and exactly. building that relationship. So we didn't meet because Are of you that. like in Northampton or right there? I am just south of Creekside. So I'm on, oh. off of Kirkendall. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So now people, now people know they can come egg my house, but, uh, uh, if they can find me, but so the other, <laughs> the other thing is you, so my, my mother, before you were at Bel Air, my mother graduated from Bel Air in 68, uh, okay. and then my sister, and I just texted her to find out who was the teacher there when she was there. It wasn't you, but she graduated from Bel Air in 96. So, okay. uh, it might've been Paul Munson at that time, but yeah, I don't, it was, I, yeah. It was. Um, but then also, Gail Silver was my middle school teacher at Welch and Gail came over to Bel Air to work with Paul. Um, uh, and then also Johnston, I went to Welch middle school, which was like the big rival of Johnston. Right. And now I, I forget what they're called, but they're like something PVA. They're the yeah, HSPVA it's a, feeder. It's the feeder for HSPVA. Yeah. Um, Johnston Forming Arts Academy. There you go. So it's just funny how you mentioned all these names of places and i was like yeah 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 it's probably we don't know each other because of those things but the parallel is is rather similar um i, I swear there are only 200 people in this world yeah. we just bouncing into each other you know <laughs> so uh let's go back a little bit to that okay. that uh middle school feeling and again i'm uh, selfishly yeah. talking to you about this because my daughter's about to enter sixth grade next year oh. uh and my my wife who is also well she's this past year, she she stopped teaching. She was in the classroom for almost fifteen years, and most of that was spent middle middle school theater teaching. Mm-hmm. And we're both scared out of our minds mm-hmm. for our soon to be sixth grader to enter middle school. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me that everything's going to be okay? <laughs> everything's good. everything's going to be fine because you're aware of it. Okay. And All anything right. that you can do to build her self esteem, yeah. anything you can do to make her because statistics show that. Females start declining in like math scores and science scores in right. middle school because they don't want to be smart in front of the boys. Okay. That's when boys are start, you start calling on boys more than you calling on girls. It, it's just such a tough, tough time. But your wife knows this because yeah. she was a middle school teacher, which yeah. there's a place, a special place in heaven for middle school teachers. I'm, I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. She, she's going to, she's going to be fine. She went from high school teaching with Brad Cummins at Austin High School in Fort Bend and mm-hmm. who's a legend uh, to teaching at middle school. And I never taught middle school and I would never understand, uh, you know, 
you, what do you mean you can't get this show up? Can't you just give, give, give them a worksheet and let them, and she's like, no, 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 that's not how worksheets turn into paper planes and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, your UT influence. So I've got a few things yeah. to focus on here. First of all, uh, Ruth Denny. Where, oh, uh, she was like my mom. Okay. Just absolutely like my mom. My actual, my mother passed away while I was in college. Yep. And Mrs. Denny became my surrogate mother. Yeah. I mean, staying at her house and everything in her office all the time. And she didn't put up with anything. Yeah. She was, she was one of the most empowering women you will ever meet in your entire life. Cause she wouldn't put up with anything. I showed up once at one of my student teaching things and I wasn't dressed to the nines and you, boy, I heard about it the next day. So she, she expected so much from us and we gave her exactly what she wanted. She, we worshiped her. She was just, she was bigger than life, absolutely yeah. bigger than life. And by the time I was a senior, I was actually, <laughs> this sounds horrible, but I was actually doing her undergraduate advising for her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, but that's training, you know, that's yeah, education. She, she was in her, she was in her seventies, you know, probably her late seventies by then. Yeah. And so. She was so, oh, I would have done, I would do anything for that woman. Yeah. I would have done anything. Well, I, I actually got to speak at her funeral. Oh, they really? did a, they did a wonderful memorial at uh, B. Iden Payne Theater at the University of Texas campus. And I got to speak and it was very special. Very, yeah. very special. We, um, you know, at PVA, the, the theater was known as the Ruth Denny Theater. And that's uh-huh. um, uh, sure. a lot of influence from Bob Singleton, but uh, so we oh, learned, Bob. yeah, we learned a lot about Ruth Denny when I was in high school. And then it, it you know, after separating myself from PVA, as far as a graduate, I've never really left there. My soul hasn't, but uh, I didn't get reintroduced to Ruth Denny until I started this podcast. Cause there were so many, and you've mentioned yeah. all their names of people that were influenced by her. And, uh, oh my just, God. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. Of course. So and you, she, she was a force. And I think sometimes that that's the reason why I can sometimes be a force because that's where, that's where I learned it. You just, you don't put up with anything in in class and rehearsal at all. You know, you get up, you do your job, you're professional and you, you, you make everything right. So you mentioned like you, all these names and it's been said multiple times on this podcast about who all was at UT at the same time, kind of this, this massive core of very influential kind of Texas theater legends, right? Yeah. Why? What, what was like? What was happening at the time that made that happen? Well, you know, I think part of it was that UT what it was before they specialized, and I guess part of it was just kismet and luck that we all happened to be about the same age. But the work that we were producing was really excellent work too. Um, I can't tell you exactly why everybody was there. I imagine some of it's got to be because of, of Mr. Murray and UIL, but um, yeah. I don't know. It, it was a magical, magical time to be there. Yeah, it's kind some of crazy. Of my, my dearest friends that are still, you know, I'm still close, close, close to. We were friends in college. Right. So. Yeah, it's. You also you just mentioned uh, something else we have in common. My mother passed away uh, when I was in college as well. Both both of my parents did. Uh, and so I have oh, the, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's, it was 17 years ago, but I mean, yeah. I like, thank you. But you know, we, my sister and I deal with it in a very comedic and sort of dark humor kind of way. Um, yeah. uh, that's our way of coping. But, but you spoke on Ruth Denny being kind of this stepping into mm-hmm. this matriarchal role for you. Uh, she or, did. and, and I had the same with Kevin Rigdon at UH, 
mm-hmm. uh, who sort of, because both times, and, and, you know, jokingly or not, at both times I was designing my only main stage shows as an undergrad designer at UH, both, both tech weeks, that's when my parents passed away. So it was like, you know, well, but I, I jokingly, now I teach at UH. So I tell these kids, I was like, Hey, be careful what shows you design, you know, uh, in a very dark humor kind of way. But, uh, but Kevin was able to step in and cause he watched all this happen. Um, uh, and be that person for me. So I, I totally understand, uh, that feeling of like, just go to their office just to sit and, and just, just to sit, yeah, just yeah. to sit and have somebody just be there. They yeah. don't have to do anything for you. They don't have to hold you. They just have to be there yeah. and, and they see you. Yeah. yeah I, I lost my dad before I was 30. So we, yeah. have, you know, we have that in common. Yeah. I was a late, I was a later in life child. They okay. had me in their forties. So. Okay. Yeah. 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 Both, both, uh, I'm trying to, my, um, both my parents were, uh, in their fifties. So, uh, when they passed away, but, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think I would be who I am or where I am today if that hadn't happened. And, you know, it, not to say that I would wish that on anybody, but it's yeah. like, you know, me being with the woman that I'm with as my wife and us having our kids that we had, you know, like all these dominoes fell into place and I'm not a religious person, but every once in a while you go back and you think, you know, something somebody's doing something to control the situation (laughs) because, uh, it's, it's worked out. I I could not ask for my daughters are are the absolute best. So, and I wouldn't have had them if, if, if that, none of that happened. So. And, you know, I agree with you. And I I always say, you know, everything happens for a reason and things are placed in your path when they're supposed to be. And part of it is that you see them when you're supposed to see them. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's one of the toughest things and nobody can understand it unless they've experienced it. Right. Uh, I see people now, you know, living, living in Florida, everybody's old. My, my sweet <laughs> husband calls Florida God's waiting room. Um, <laughs> but I actually have friends that, you know, they're in their 70s. Yeah. And they'll complain that their mother, who's in the 90s, and she has, I have to go take my mother to get her nails done. I'm like, I would give anything yeah. in the world, anything yeah. in the world for one more day with my mother. Yeah. So you you just shut up yeah. right now and you do, and you'd be happy that your mother's still alive. Right. So the tech tip I have for this week, just the tip, just a tech tip, it actually comes from this week's personal experience. For the second time this school year, I have needed stitches. Um, so my tech tip is cut, cut away from you. Uh, the first time was a freak accident. This time was all stupid me. Um, uh, we're using something called uh, pulp art, which is pretty much sprayed on kind of molded cardboard onto a mold, right? And this is for a brick, uh, an old timey brick look, which if you follow me on Facebook, I'll, I'll have some pictures once we're done, probably tomorrow as I record this, but uh, once we're done with that pulp art. But anyway, uh, I was cutting it um, to kind of fit around some two by four, uh, framing and cut it towards my thumb and cut right into my thumb. So my tech tip of the week is to cut away from you, cut away from anything that you don't want to bleed all over the pulp art. That's the, that's just the tip. Uh, you just reminded me that you taught Jim Parsons and funny. I did, I did a show with Jim Parsons at Mildred's umbrella 
before Did he was you? before he was Jim Parsons. But what uh, what, what what year would that have been? Uh, two thousand two or three, maybe. Okay. okay. So. Um, but yeah, so what, do you still keep in touch with Jim Parsons? I mean, are you absolutely, absolutely? He's and, just one of my kids. Yeah, and and what type of person has he become, or is he still the same kid that you taught? He's exactly the same. That's absolutely, funny. has not changed at all. When he was on Broadway recently, I was backstage with him, and I had a friend, one of my college roommates, was with me, and Jim and I are standing. Okay, so I was I was in New York to see him because I go see everything that he does. Yeah. So I was in New York when he was doing Boys in the Band, and I had taken along with me one of my roommates from college, and uh, I'm you know I'm standing off to the side, and Jim and I are just chatting and talking and everything. And then Linnell says to me afterwards, she goes, "What were you talking about? You were so focused, whatever it was." And I said, "Well, I was giving him notes." <laughs> and she said, "You were what?" I said, "I was giving him notes. I mean, what do you expect? I was his high school theater teacher. Of course, I'm going to give him notes." <laughs> he uh, he's the sweet he's the sweetest thing in the whole world. He's nothing like his character. He is very, um, he's very soft and he's very um, articulate and he's very kind. And what a lot of people don't know is when he was in high school, when he first, when I first met him, he wanted to be a meteorologist. And then we did his junior year, we did Noises Off. And he likes to credit that show as the show that made him decide he wanted to be an actor. Yeah. he, He was very, very sweet. What uh, did you know that he was going to be something? Um, no. Okay. Because he was one of those, like we talked about earlier. Sometimes you just you have a group that's just magical. He was in a magical group, and he was good. He was funny, and I loved him. And he was in every show. But there were other actors that same year that were that were um, just as good. They just didn't. You know, he fills a, a very specific n- niche in in yeah. television movies uh they were all fabulous fantastic and you you know who was really good is his little sister yeah his, his little sister who was a second day, second grade teacher first grade teacher something like that she was outstanding so did i know he was going to make it big no am i glad he made it big absolutely did uh the other sort of parallel you and i or similarity you and i have is you taught for three years and then left and then came back uh, to teaching. But because uh, I did that same thing, I taught exactly three years, left to go do real world stuff. And then I was like, yeah. well, I should come back to teaching. So that's what I did. But um, uh, just wanted to throw that out there. So I, I got to ask about the AP thing. So I have a, a master's in administration or education with a, a you know, a, a certification in administration. And one of the things that I noticed, and I've talked about this on this podcast before, uh, of the reasons why I didn't go into administration. But one of those things that I've, I don't think I've ever talked about is exactly what you said when it comes to being an AP in a place where you've taught and those mm-hmm. students now rightfully or wrongfully uh, kind of look at you or, or, or uh, deem you the, the easy AP or the, the, the one that's going to let them off, right? Um, and so I had so many students while I was at Dulles say, Hey, if you become an assistant principal here, uh, and I get in trouble, are you, are you going to be cool? You know? And, <laughs> and so I, I didn't end up doing that. Right. Um, <laughs> being, being an AP that is, but, uh, I mean, what was, what is that like? I mean, where do you have to kind of like draw the line or, or. Well, first of all, I was not the easy AP. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I and you know I got the most troubled kids too. Yeah. And I guess the thing that the recurring theme that kept coming back is, you know, dude, she she she's cool, but she, she she'll give you whatever punishment you're supposed to have. I mean, she's fair, but she's cool. But she's cool because I you know, being a theater teacher, you do so much counseling and talking to kids and getting to know their psyche that by the time I was an assistant principal, you know, I, I had a way. I, I knew I could communicate with kids. And so even these kids that nobody could stand and they would throw them out of class all the time, I could I could get on the same ground with them. And so a lot of times they would they would not want to disappoint me. They didn't want to come to the you know, they'd come to the office so many times we'd get to know each other and then they wouldn't want to come back to the office because they wouldn't want to want to disappoint me. But, um, yeah, I was fair. I was tough. Um, it was pretty much, you know, dude, if you're going to do the action, you got to do the consequence, right? And here, here I am saying dude all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. And, and the kids know, you know, you're going to skip class. This is going to be your consequence. Okay. Are you, are you willing to take that, that consequence? Yes, ma'am. All right. Then I don't have a problem with it. I never, I never judged any of them. I never, I never made them feel less. I always felt like they were my kids. And what's so funny is you, you get so close to theater kids and they become your absolute children. Well, these troubled kids too, these kids that, you know, come from really tough backgrounds or even the really rich kids that are ignored by their parents or whatever it is, you you love them too in the same sort of way. I still keep in touch with some of the kids that I used to regularly suspend, you know, because, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Being a theater teacher, I think gives you so much insight to, to uh, just the way kids work. Right. Cause you get to see them so much more than their parents ever do, you know, and, and you understand them. So I, I think it makes you actually a better administrator. The thing that used to get me is, you know, um, staff problems. That's really tough. Dealing with kids is a piece of cake when yeah. you're at AP. Dealing with teachers, not so much. Right. Because all of a sudden now you have your peers that you've been working with for almost 20 years and you've got them in your office and you have to tell them that something that they did was less than desirable. And and that that's hard. That's hard. you got to learn a whole new language for that. They used to assign me the teachers that they wanted to get rid of. Because they knew that I would spend a lot of time in their classroom and I would give them every tool I had, give, fill their box with tools to make them successful teachers. But then if they didn't, then, you know, I was the one that, that right. was the one right. that could say, you know, this, you know, Blake, you've worked <laughs> so hard this year and I appreciate it so much, but I don't think it's going to work out, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. So, and sometimes they're older than you are, you know, but. Yeah, e e ego becomes a thing a little bit the older you get, I guess. Uh, you protect it some. As long as you're kind. Yeah. I was t Travis and I, Travis Poe and I were talking about this just the other night on the phone. But when you give critiques, you can give. He, because Travis says, I want to give these really tough critiques. I said, Well, you can give tough critiques, as long as you're kind. As long as you're coming from the right place, as long as your heart is in there, you can give them tough critiques. You don't have to give everybody light and fluffy, yeah, your show was great critiques. You can be tough as long as you're coming from a place of kindness in your yeah. heart. Well, and, and switching gears on that, the critique thing, because that's kind of been a hotbed topic so far. And uh, I've had two contests thus far, and I've got one more next week as we record this. It'll be over by the time this posts. But uh, the whole when do we do critiques uh, chat is, is 
been very, um, uh, it's gotten a lot of traction recently, especially on like the Facebook page and such. And what is your opinion on when you think the most effective critique uh, resonates with these kids? It's definitely, it's definitely not after the awards. We, no, that's, we know that for a fact. Yeah. So anytime, anytime prior to the awards, they're receptive. Right. Okay. Anytime prior to the awards. I, you know, doing it right after the show is good because it's fresh. Doing it after all the shows is good also. As long as they don't know that they have not advanced, right. they're going to be like little sponges and suck, soak up everything that you've got. And, and I, I have never, ever, ever in my history... Uh, had a had a cast that was less than respectful or receptive. Even back when we when I was a single judge, right. and we would critique all the plays after the awards. Never once did I have somebody that was disrespectful. I did have a situation once where this group was just oh crying and they were so sad. And this one little girl who was the lead of the play, she was just bawling oh my god and i didn't know how i was going to do the critique because they were just so demonstrative and so i walked over to them and i, I said to her i said sweetie i said you wear your emotions on your shoulder don't you she, yes ma'am i said that's what makes you a good actress turned it off immediately and she started listening to me and when she turned around the entire group turned around yeah. and all i did was i saw her i saw her as a human being and I responded to her. I didn't talk at her. I, I I let her know that I was with her in the moment. And that I was going to talk to her about her play. But then I thought she was a good actress. Yeah. So made all the difference. Uh, I actually am one of those I'm one of those people who wishes we still had single judges only because I, I want to critique every play. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, I've heard I, really, that I really love panels, but I love giving critiques. I love it so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Or it could be an option. Maybe there are two adjudicators that are just like not feeling it that day, and they can vote <laughs> to allow to allow you. But I don't think that'll happen. But yeah, as far as the critique, because I just experienced this for the first time, the critique right after the show, and so they were ten minute critiques, and we had a pretty good timekeeper in the room with them that was like, nope, time's up. And it was almost like they were able to pull a plug on a microphone type thing. And uh, do you feel? more pressure to get all of your kind of constructive criticism out to the students or is it uh, uh have you trained I'm yourself I, i'm horrible when they tell me it's 10 minutes i won't stop because <laughs> i will say to the timer i'm going to finish my notes yeah yeah and i've had lots of them try to stop me and i say i'm going to finish my notes <laughs> <laughs> good it's not okay. fair yeah. it's not fair if they can't if i only critique the first you know, two thirds of their show. That's, right. that's, that's not educational. Right. Okay, good. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't have a follow up with that. I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I had someone do it just the other day. She said, okay, uh, you've got 10 minutes. And I looked at her and I said, well, you can try and stop me, but I'm going to finish my notes. And I went on for, I think I probably went on for like 15 or 16 minutes. Wasn't that bad. Yeah. And after the show, she wrote me the sweetest thing. She said, you know, this was the woman who was the stage manager at the contest. She goes, you know, I could listen to you do critiques for hours and hours. The, the critique you gave that school was so good. I'm so glad I didn't stop you. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, and there, I think it's also sometimes up to the school itself, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, but that's that's my only 
uh, as a contest manager that is super time oriented, I mean, like, I'm just like that in my daily life. Like Mm -hmm. if you and I said, we're meeting at three o'clock and it's three Oh one, I'll message you and be like, why are you late? Uh, that's why why I was on at two fifty seven. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were, I feel the, I feel the same way, (laughs) but you know, like as a contest manager, I have to sometimes remove that because, uh, I was just a, a, a CM for a contest where the adjudicator showed up late for a, a good re- her tire blew out on her way like she was going to be plenty fine like and she ended everything ended up being fine but th- th- at no fault of hers th- you know her car gave out right and uh but it was a 45 minute late start and it's like me I'm like oh my god we got to figure out how to make up this time and uh, you know, and your OCD kicked in. Yeah, and you, you know, you start like the 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 curtain speech is just like, "Hey guys, don't take pictures." Anyway, the next show, because you know, like, <laughs> you're just trying to make up all that time, but uh, it ended up working out just fine. But it but but it's that kind of thing that the 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 critiques being in between shows where you know you've got at least seven minutes, but then you know, that kind of thing is like, mm-hmm. oh man, if if this adjudicator is going to go thirty minutes. Uh, you know, it's going to push us back, but right. it sounds like when you say you're going to finish your notes, you're still in a reasonable oh, absolutely. amount of time. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the educational part of the contest. Yeah. Right. Ha- having your kids watch the other shows and learn just by watching, but also getting the feedback. Right. If we didn't right. give the feedback, what's the point of having the contest? Well, you know, we might as well be the basketball team. Yeah. And also you don't want that feedback coming from the, your own director, because they're going to pick and choose what they tell you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can never say enough when you're writing to those schools that are not going to get to hear you when you're, you can never say everything that you want to say. Right. right. You know, so, so even though I fill up every page, <laughs> turn it up, fill that page up too. So I could probably talk to you for another few hours, uh, but you're, you're getting close to the sweet spot of when I cut people off, but oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I can't, believe, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you when we're done. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, so I, want to, I want to kind of get you out of the here on this and you, you sort of alluded to this, um, a few minutes ago about March is your time to go away. Right. Uh, are there other ways that you have figured out how to fill your cup or is March just turn March on? Is the, well, you know, I do, I do, uh, summer camps sometimes okay. and I just got back from the Cody Hodge thing up in Amarillo, which by the way is the best thing in the entire state that nobody knows about. Okay. Free, free clinic, basically. They Schools pay nothing to go to it. And every clinician or every respondent that was there was a state judge. Okay. And so it was, so I do get to do some of that, but not a whole lot. It's my, it's my March, April, fill your cup and hope it's, hope it stays filled till the next year. So then for, you said Cody Hodge. Cody Hodge. It, okay. So, um, Trying to, I'm getting my crack research team on this. Yeah, Amarillo College. Okay. Okay. He was a student uh, who passed away, and his father endowed a um, foundation because he loved theater so much, so that any school in the area or any school in the state of Texas can come to this festival and be critiqued by three state level judges. Oh, here it is. Yeah. All you have to pay for is your transportation to get there. Okay. And they will take care of everything else. Yeah. It, it's a wonderful thing. Cody with Everybody a K. Being... Okay. Yeah. It's it's Cody with a K. So that's that's why Cody I didn't. Yeah. Because Cody with a C is like a football player. Um... No. Cody with a K. <laughs> okay. I just found it. Yeah. And so... his dad 
his dad, Ryan Hodge, is just the nicest guy. The nicest guy. And he wants all he wants is for kids in theater like his son to get, you know, as much as they can. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna throw this uh in the in the description to kind of to make sure people have a link when they hear this. So uh well good. So so then um when you are working your nine to five, if you will, uh the Dolly Parton reference, uh <laughs> when you when you're doing your thing as a contractor, um what is it about that that kind of fulfills because you mentioned early, very very early in the conversation about how florida's very uh their their guidelines or restrictions or their codes all that kind of stuff are very tough rightfully because of hurricanes and and weather probably the same over on the far coast over in california because of earthquakes and such mm-hmm. um so where <laughs> This is very a selfish question because it's something that I've always kind of wanted to explore. But uh, how much control do you have as a designer when it comes to what you're doing on your day to day basis uh, inside somebody's house, or is it all collaboration? I mean, is I know well, the the answer is probably both, but um, yeah, the answer is actually both. You'd be surprised how people don't know what they want, right? absolutely don't know what they want. Like I, I did this, I have this one client where I literally gutted their entire house. There was nothing. I even replaced the stairs and I asked the wife, you know, what, what sort of things do you like? Well, you know, I don't know. And they look to me to tell them what one, what is, what are the trends, what's happening now and what is the best practice? Like what's the best thing to use on the floor? Should we use tile? Should we use vinyl? Should we use engineered wood? Should we use actual hardwood? And, you know, and then I've got my spiel where I can say, well, you know, the water here, the water table here is really high. So hardwood is, a, is not necessarily your best idea unless we put a really expensive uh, water barrier between the slab and I mean, that sort of thing. So my expertise of having done it helps a lot. Um, but I'm not a designer except a theater. I can do theater designing, but I'm not an interior designer. I have no qualifications for that, but I know what I like. And so, you know, I will guide them in what I think they should do. I would listen to them to see what they want and try. It is a collaboration more than anything, but I find myself more, more than just listening to them and doing what they want. I end up being their partner in it. And, um, helping them, you know, assisting them, giving them, you know, this, it'd be a better idea if we did this, or it'd be a better idea if we did that sort of thing. We really need to put some can lights here because there's not enough. And I can put this one in there because you could change the temperature of the light and that sort of thing. So okay. uh, collective. I think if, if you've ever been in tech theater person at all, it's yeah. just like, doing, it's just like doing a production. <laughs> I mean, you, you start at the you start at the beginning with your design. You go to your production book, and you know you work you work your way through it. And then opening night is the night is when you show them the show them the final you know, final product. It's very satisfying. Oh yeah. my gosh, very satisfying. And and finally, just out of curiosity, what's the most difficult renovation or piece or room or whatever that you've ever done, and why? Ah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I've oh, done no. everything. You know what? Let me ask you this because I've watched ask a lot. Of, ask a cleaner, cleaner question. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's not a good me. question. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this because we watch a lot of HGTV. Right. This may not be the closing question. I might have a follow up. Is, is that stuff real? <laughs> uh, no, not okay. really, because they don't have the timelines right. They don't have the inspections 
No one ever sees anything being inspected. And sometimes I have to stop for, you know, a day just waiting for them to come in and and look at my sheetrock inspection or or look at my, I can't close the floor. I've opened the floor because I've changed all the plumbing, but I have to wait for the plumbing inspector to come. So that's not true. Plus the money is not. They can't do it for the amounts they they say they're doing it for. Yeah. I just did it. I just finished a lady's bathroom and it was you know, $57,000. Right. Now, granted, she picked the high, highest end of everything, but it was just a bathroom for right. $57,000. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. I, I, do, I do jobs from, I, I built some cabinetry for a sweet little couple, you know, $3,000. Yeah. And I also do jobs that are $200,000. I'm everything in between. So, yeah. you name it. I, I swear to God, I'm a real contractor. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to have you work on my house because the codes are different, but, uh, you know. Yeah, there are no, you know, there's not a license in Texas. You don't have to be a license. You don't, co- uh, no contractor's license. Yeah, but you, <laughs> yeah, but you, uh, I believe like each individual element has trade. a, has every a, yeah, trade every has trade. A yeah. So but that's, you don't. yeah, I could go out. Oh, trust me. I've met a few of those contractors. So, um, mm-hmm. that, that have no license, even a probably driver's license. Um, <laughs> Okay, fine. Then I'll get you out of here on this. Let's try to be eloquent and clean with this with this question. Uh, there are a lot of people leaving the profession, uh, rightfully or wrongfully, right? Um, and it's been a problem, the, the, not just the profession of theater teachers, but also just education in general. Um, but some of those people are leaving for uh, greener pastures, and or they think they're greener pastures. Some of those people are leaving to be real estate agents or this and that. You have now um, left and come back a couple times, but why? What type of advice would you give somebody that is thinking about? They're they're not quite sure. They're on the fence about should I stay or should I go? Great song, uh, and and you know what is what is going to help me make these decisions and make me feel comfortable with those decisions. Well, do you remember I told you that I did some undergraduate advising for Mrs. Denny when I was in college? And the one thing that she used to always say that I hammered home with every one of them was, if there is anything else that you can do, there's anything else that fills your cup, you need to do it. You only go into this because it's the only thing you can do. I mean, I'm not saying you can't physically do other jobs because there are, but this is this is the thing that talks to your soul. This is the thing that makes you who you are. If 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 you're not completely satisfied at the end of the day and you've left everything in that classroom or on that stage or whatever, then you probably need to find someplace else to go. And and listen to me, I I, I don't know how I don't know how you guys are doing it now. With all the stuff that's happening, I live in Florida for God's sakes, and they're they're. I'm not going to get political, <laughs> but the things that they're happening in classrooms in Florida right now are just insane. You know, even the things that the publishers are making, you know, it's it's just ridiculous that it's becoming so difficult just to do what is a very simple job. Minor wisdom. <laughs>